WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Today we have a special episode. We're joined by three women in STEM who are from completely different fields to talk about something that has been quite important to us lately called the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. Danny and I are joined by Lauren Eichberger, Ariane Patano, and Natalie Cagule. Can you all please introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Lauren Eichberger. I am a graduate student within College of Agriculture and Natural Resources, and I am studying immunology with cattle against bovine leukemia virus. Hi, my name is Ariane Patano. I'm a first-year doctoral student at the College of Nursing, and I study end-of-life and palliative care. I look at circadian rhythm and pain management among advanced cancer patients. Hello, my name is Natalie Kagole, and I am in the College of Social Science. I'm a junior studying psychology, but minoring in global public health and epidemiology. Thanks for joining us, ladies. Though we don't have the opportunity to talk about your individual research since we're talking about the coronavirus, can you please tell us a little bit about how your background will help us understand the coronavirus? Hello, my name is Natalie, and in 2018, I happened to come first place for the One Health Challenge, which enabled me to go to Canada and attend the World One Health Conference. And I've since then focused my public health studies in the perspective of the One Health Framework, and I think the coronavirus can be approached the same way. I'm Arian. I've been a registered nurse since 2019, and I can talk about the clinical aspects of coronavirus, how it's presented in symptoms, and how to prevent and protect yourself against it. I'm Lauren. So with my background in animal science and immunology, I can give more of a look on how the virus is itself and then how we can relate that back to animals and then how your body is reacting to it as well. Well, it's clear here that we have a wide variety of expertise that we've brought to the table to talk to us today about what the coronavirus is. But before we get into the more nitty-gritty details about it, can you tell us a little bit about what is the coronavirus in general terms? Yeah, the coronavirus is actually a large class of viruses themselves. Corona means crown. So when you're looking at the coronaviruses itself, Each virus will have a bunch of different spikes on it, and those different spikes will infect and attach to different cells within the body. There's some that will infect your nose. Those cause like the common cold where this coronavirus or COVID-19 now is actually attaching to your lungs. So that's why we have this new upcoming virus. All right, so there's different ways that this coronavirus can affect the human population. How is it transmitted, though? It's transmitted by human-to-human transmission. It's aerosol droplets, so from coughing and sneezing, and it can travel within the range of six feet. It can also contaminate surfaces such as door handles and railings. It's really important to disinfect everything. Droplets can be suspended in air for a short time, and the virus can last on surfaces for about nine days. To go along with that, also to advise that if you do touch any surfaces, that you don't contaminate the sensitive parts of your face with any of that. Like, don't touch your mouth or your eyes or just wash your hands as much as you can. It sounds like this disease can be easily transmitted in a variety of different ways. 
I've been hearing and reading about mixed reviews on how well these masks are able to protect against the transmission of the coronavirus whenever it's airborne. Arian, can you tell us a little bit more about whether or not these masks actually work? Yeah, masks are definitely very preventative in protecting individuals from the virus. However, there's also never a definite protection, but it does help a lot. So there's two different types of masks that you can wear. You can wear a surgical mask, and then also there's something called the N95 mask that is more so for healthcare professionals, caring for people, for individuals that are dealing with people with the virus. So there's a lot of debate on that right now just because it is aerosol, as you said. But going off of how you're using the masks, if you're using it correctly, it can be a great preventative measure. But like what we learned with the SARS or the severe acute respiratory syndrome, the people who wore the N95 mask just out of pure prevention and weren't even dealing with people who were sick or just trying to prevent getting the virus themselves actually had a higher infection rate. And they're thinking that that's because those masks, they suction cup almost to your face. So when you have something on your face sitting like that, it gets very uncomfortable. So you're touching your face a lot more than when you would if you just had no mask at all. The masks are really geared towards people, as Ariane said, who are sick and are trying to prevent the spread or if you are working with people who are already infected. Also to keep in mind that this particular coronavirus strain has previously been rare in humans. I would say we should also keep in mind that very little is known about this virus right now. So we should not basically look at the masks as a panacea or like the one way to prevent transmission. It is also imperative to keep in mind that we originally don't know how it started because right now it's person-to-person contact, but the origination is still in question. That's a good point that we don't really know how it's transmitted exactly yet or where it even came from. All we know is that it came from a specific region in China and that everyone that was initially infected was around a animal market. So they were selling seafood, different types of meat. They don't think it's linked directly to how it was cooked. They're thinking it's more so linked to just being around animals in general. So what we know a lot about coronaviruses is that they start in animals. And then you have this thing called forest transmission. So the virus gets spread from animal to animal to animal, all different vectors. And at some point, there's something called a spillover. And that spillover is when it jumps to the human population. And that's what we're thinking is going on with this coronavirus, just like what happened with the SARS. It's interesting to note that the coronavirus has originated on the other side of the world in China, but it has reached in regions as far as over here in America. Some people might not be aware that they're carriers for this virus. So I'm wondering, what are some of the earliest symptoms that people are exhibiting? So like you said, sometimes people might not be even aware that they have it. So there's a period of time where you can be asymptomatic and symptoms can range from mild to severe. It really just depends on the individual. So symptoms can present fever, coughing, shortness of breath, diarrhea, sneezing, runny noses, and sore throats. And if I may add, I think it's important to note that if you do think you're experiencing the symptoms and you have come into contact with someone who has recently been traveling or anyone that is suspected of having coronavirus, you should absolutely call your healthcare provider before going into their office or clinic. They want to take preventative measures to make sure that you're not spreading that just in case. 
how can people take care of themselves in the event that coronavirus ends up emerging somewhere that they're living in locally? Since this is respiratory, there are always the same precautions as of every respiratory illness. So covering your coughs and sneezes, sneezes and washing your hands for 20 seconds, staying at home if you're sick so that you don't transmit it to other people, avoiding sharing household items, and then also monitoring your symptoms. So if you are sick, if you are experiencing symptoms such as fever and diarrhea, then you should go to your healthcare provider and get tested. CDC also says on their website to get your flu shot. What makes it so severe that it leads to death? Could their age be a contributing factor? So yes, I think age is definitely a very influencing factor just because I think it's 80% of people who have already died from this virus are ages 65 and above. And that is probably due to the comorbidities and already pre-existing conditions. So for example, cardiovascular diseases and diabetes already kind of compromises the immune system. So when someone gets this and they already have pre-existing conditions, this kind of sets them up for failure in combating this illness. As of today's recording, over 1,500 people have passed away in mainland China due to the coronavirus. Why is there so much media attention on this virus? However, another virus called influenza has killed over 20 times the amount of people just this past year alone. Why is there so much media attention for the coronavirus then? The thought of a new virus is very scary to the public. I myself even was concerned when I heard that there was this new virus floating around. Where is it? What is it doing? But we have to keep in mind that this is novel. The governments across the world are acting upon it very quickly, a lot quicker than we did with SARS. And we already have a virus, the flu, that has killed, like you said, 34,000 people within the last year. So... If we are concerned about one virus that's killed only 1,500, why aren't we more concerned about the one that's killing 34,000 where we do have vaccines for it, where we can be more preventative about it? I think for the number of deaths that um, we've seen in the amount of time, this has only been a little over two months. So the first cases were reported in December 2019. And this is only February. So for the amount of deaths we've seen compared to the influenza in the amount of time, I think that would cause for public panic. And I think that's why the WHO actually just considered it a global emergency. Something that confuses me that I'm hoping one of you could clear up is why is there a vaccine for animals, but there's not a vaccine for humans? The previous coronaviruses have almost exclusively been in animals. There hasn't been particular research done on human cases enough to develop a vaccine. And in that case, this is this is why it's called a novel virus, because it's not something that anyone saw coming. Going off of that, because it's very similar to the flu, when you look at the flu every year, they'll come out with different strains that they're protecting against. Well, because this is so novel, we don't know the genetic signature yet of this strain. So we can't pinpoint where to make sure the virus doesn't attach to our cells within our body. And if we did know that, would we be able to have specific tests for it then so that we can like screen people like in airports? I don't know if we'll be able to do screening at the airport. The tests that we're using are very lab specific right now. So right now we're doing uh, PCR. So PCR or polymerase chain reaction is when 
There are little probes that you put on the DNA that checks for a certain base pair frequency. And then once it finds it, it amplifies it or it copies it a bunch of times over and over and over again, enough for us to see it visually on the screen and say, okay, we see that gene or we don't see that gene. If you see the gene, that means it's there. If you don't see the gene, that means it's not there, which means you wouldn't have that virus. But that can take a couple hours. So I don't know if we're ever going to have the point where you can screen for it at the airport. But right now we can definitely do it through the lab. That would also be pretty expensive because like just to run that in lab is a few hundred dollars. So imagine if we had to do that for everyone. It's good to know that there are ways that people can test for whether or not a person has coronavirus. But Arian, can you elaborate on how people are treated when they are determined that they have the coronavirus? Yeah, so there is no specific treatment. There is no specific antiviral treatment recommended to treat these people, but we recommend supportive care. So lots of fluids, lots of rest, and in severe cases, we do care for supporting the vital organ functions. So back to you, Arian. When should people go to the doctor or the hospital? What if they just think that it's the common flu or something? And what should they do when they can't get medical help in the meantime? So if they suspect that they do have the virus, then they should um, call their healthcare provider saying that, I think I have the virus, and then they do some tests. First, they test for the flu, strep, and any other respiratory illnesses just to make sure that they can rule out those before concluding to coronavirus. But as far as going to the hospital, one would have to go to the hospital if it was very severe. So far in the United States, there's only been a reported amount of 15 cases. If the coronavirus were to spread a lot more throughout the United States, how would the U.S. be able to prepare and defend against a national-scale pandemic? So luckily, our government has been on the forefront of this right away because it didn't start in our country. So we were able to stop planes coming in that could have potentially infected people and so on, especially with the cruise ships. So we do have the CDC or the Center of Disease Control, and they so far have only ranked this as a high threat potential, which is scary when you think about it. But it's only been ranked that because of the life threatening cases. I don't think it'll ever get to the point where we have to worry about that, but the CDC will have so many protocols and quarantines that they can put up in place. So if it does outbreak somewhere specifically in the U.S., so let's say New York gets this horrible outbreak and a lot of people are infected, they'll have ways to make sure that it doesn't spread to the rest of the country. They're very, very proactive about that, and they're always prepared. From an international perspective, and given that I'm from Uganda, which is the warmer parts of the African continent, Africa hasn't had issues with the flu in the past. And since the coronavirus is a kind of similar in the terms of spread, I wouldn't expect it to be such an outbreak. And the only case that has been reported from Egypt has been a foreigner. So I I would probably think it best for the airports to just be stricter with like incoming visitors to show if they've been in, in a country where there is cases in the past um, 14 days or even longer. I think in that case, we can be proactive in that way. How can the world be preventative in making sure that a virus doesn't spill over into human population a lot like the way that the coronavirus did this past year? 
That's a great question. And since I've been doing a lot of One Health advocacy on campus and under my understanding of One Health has brought me to the conclusion that, and with this coronavirus, that we need, definitely need more One Health practice. What One Health is, for anyone who doesn't know, is approaching health issues from an animal, human, and environmental perspective. Having everyone walk together, all hands on deck, because this coronavirus spilled over from an animal to a human. It was not seen coming, probably because there was no collaboration between the veterinary um, professionals and the medical doctors, which I think going forward as a world in general, we should work more together just to fill those little gaps and to make sure this doesn't happen again. Well, thank you to all three of you for joining us this morning for today's show of the Sci-Files. We really appreciate you giving us this worldview of how the coronavirus works and how people can be proactive against uh, the spread of it. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Hey, do you want to drink some beer brewed by scientists while playing arcade games? Then join us at the first anniversary of the Sci-Files at the Grid on Pi Day. At 6 p.m., we will be releasing a beer brewed at Sagatug Brewery called Diceros. The proceeds go to the black rhino mother, Dopsy, and her calf, Jali, from Potter Park Zoo at the Animal Health Program. It's going to be epic. You're going to get to hear interviewees from the Sci-Files give updates on their episodes, such as the doctors and zookeepers of the black rhinos. It's almost been a year of the Sci-Files. To celebrate the anniversary, we will be giving out prizes, too. See you at the grid on March 14th, also known as Pi Day.